Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. I ask that you pray for me this morning as we look at this psalm. Charles Spurgeon said that this psalm is another choice flower from the garden of affliction. Um, you know, when we're in distress, when we're in times of trouble, that's often when we see God in his fullness. That's often when we see more of God than when times are good and when times are easy. And many commentators believe that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 were written around the same time. Two or three weeks ago, we went through Psalm 3, which was a psalm David wrote when he was fleeing from Absalom, his son, who was trying to usurp authority over his own kingdom. He was living under the stars. He was, uh, he was uh, driven from his throne, and, and he was in a time of, of trouble. It's, he started that psalm by saying, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. So in the time of his trouble, he was looking unto the Lord, and in Psalm 4, it's no different. And he begins in verse 1 by saying, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. I want to I notice with you this morning that David, although David knew that he didn't have it all together, although David knew that he had, he had sinned and he had brought a lot of the distress that he was under on himself by his own actions. You remember he called in, in the book of um, Samuel, he, he said that, that God had called leaders to be pure, basically. And he said, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. He knew that there was a covenant that God had made with him, he was, well, or for him, and David was the beneficiary of this covenant that would make him righteous, right? And so when he's calling out to God, he, he, he titles God, or he, he, he says to God, you are the God of my righteousness. You see that David, even in David's distressing times when he is paying for his sins, he can still see that, that he has a righteousness that is his. And we know that David knew that it wasn't a righteousness that he had attained uh, through his judgment in leading the nation of Israel or through his courage facing uh, Goliath when all others fled, but it was a righteousness that was alien to him that had been imputed unto him. And if you and I are ever going to be able to call out to God and, and experience righteousness in our hearts and, and understand that we are righteous before him, it'll never be by looking at our own works or looking at our own actions or looking at our own prayers. We will have to be like David and look at him and say, Oh God of my righteousness, that my righteousness before, before God doesn't come from me, 
but it came from God and it's mine. And we need to be like David and lay hold upon his righteousness and understand what God has done for us to make us righteous. I want to go with you uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for, just for a moment. In this, in this letter, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says in verse 18, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. How were we reconciled to God? It was through Jesus. He hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. If you want to understand what the ministry is about, what the church is about, what the business of the, the church is to be in the world today, it is to preach the world, the, 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 it was to show the world the word of reconciliation, the message of God reconciling his people unto himself is what we're to be about and what we're to promote. And he says in verse 20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For... Listen, speaking of God the Father, it says, For he hath made him, that is Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. I, I, I wish that I could explain that verse to you. How did that happen? How, what, what took place within the Godhead? What took place at Calvary that all the sins of all the elect could be, could be placed upon Jesus Christ? And look, he explains Jesus. Uh, after, after us, there's a comma that says, Who knew no sin. You know, our, our Lord was the, 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 the holy Lord. Our, our Lord was the holy Lamb of God that takes away. The, he was, there was no blemish within him. When John uh, it was baptizing that day and Jesus comes to him and he stops everything and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. He was saying, This is the one that God has sent in which there is no blemish. There is no error. He has never sinned. He will never sin. He could never sin. <laughs> He is impeccable. That's what theologians would use the word. He is in the impeccability of Christ. He was not, it was not possible that he could sin. He was tempted at all points like we are. Our high priest was, but yet without sin. And so Paul is writing to them. He says that Jesus, who knew no sin, he wasn't acquainted with sin. He didn't commit sin, but yet on the cross, God made him to be sin for us. That's the gospel, isn't it? Us who were full of sin, us who know nothing but sin, us who uh, have, have lived in, in sin and lived in rebellion to God. Even at that time when we were enemies to God, God had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Have you ever felt yourself, I, I know... I know I have. You, you feel yourself to be so unrighteous and you feel yourself to be so far from God and, and, you, and, you, and you wonder, uh, how is it that I could please God? And, and how can I know that I am righteous? And how can I know that I am forgiven? I'm going to tell you this. If you look to anything that you do, and a lot of times we look to our actions so that we can feel our own righteousness, right? We say, well, I, was, I prayed this week. And I read my Bible this week, and, and I gave money this week, and I helped my neighbor this week. And we look to those actions to, to, to somehow try to draw assurance in our mind that we are right with God. But it won't, if you're looking to your actions, it won't take long until <laughs> you think a thought <laughs> or you do something. <laughs> and you begin to look at that and you say, how could I be righteous before God? Well, you can't on your own. And, and you can't look to your own works, and you can't look to your own thoughts to experience the righteousness that you have, to step into the righteousness that's already yours 
unless you understand that it is from God. And that's why David says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, that my righteousness came from God. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 30, it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul says it was of God that you were placed in Christ, and it was of God that you've been that you've been given the wisdom, you've been given the new birth, you've been given the spirit of God, and, it, and you've been made righteous through him. You were sanctified, you were redeemed, and it was all because you were in Christ. And your righteousness comes from God. So we can say with David this morning, oh God of my righteousness. And I love how David, even though he is suffering the consequences of his earthly sin, could still look to God and say, God, I have righteousness because it's through you. <laughs> and then he says, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. David, in his time of distress, is saying, in, in a current time of distress, is going back and saying, God, you, you have given me relief. You have enlarged. When he's talking about distress there, it's, 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 it's kind of like a picture of a narrow way where there's no way out. And he says, You have enlarged me. You've... You have made a way, you have broadened a way for me to get out of the distress in which I was in. He says, you've done that before. And, 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 and looking back on what God has done before is giving David hope in what God is going to do in the future. Do you see that? So I, I often think about the children of Israel where there's a sea in front of them and a raging army behind them and they were in distress, but God enlarged them. He made a way where there was no way. David could probably think back and say, I remember when I just had five little stones and a slingshot and a giant warrior from the Philistines with the, with the armor of men and the sword of men was standing in front of me and it looked like there was no way out. But God, you made a way. I bet those three Hebrew boys could tell us a lot about how God enlarged them in their distress. How God made, and you know, I bet there's everybody here, if we sat down at lunch tonight, today, and you were honest with, it, with each other, you could tell... You could tell your fellow brothers and sisters about when you were in distress and it looked like there was no way, but God made a way. We probably need to do more of that. And we probably need to, to share more of how God has providentially worked in our lives to make ways for us when it seemed like there was no other way that would work, how God enlarged us in our distress. And so David says, Lord, I know you've done it before. And I think, I think David's saying, I know you can do it again. And so he says, have mercy upon me. Be gracious unto me. Show me your grace and mercy. You know what David is saying? David is saying, do something for me that I do not deserve. <laughs> we don't deserve for God to make ways for us when there is no way. We do not deserve for God to help us in our times of distress. But just like your salvation comes from the grace and mercy of God, your deliverance in this life comes from the grace and mercy of God. And so David cries out to God. He says, have mercy upon me. Don't give me what I deserve, God. And God bless me with the things I don't deserve. <laughs> Do y'all see that? He's saying, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. So David has, has called out to God. And then he begins to address those 
who are distressing him. And he says, oh, ye sons of men. And, and John Gill and other commentators would say these were, the, the, these were the, the ones who were in power, the ones who had turned upon him, the, one, the ones who, uh, the, the powerful in whom the saints of God throughout the centuries have been persecuted by the powerful, by the wicked, right? Throughout church history we can see that. Those who gained power have often used that power to persecute those who were godly. And it's no different in David's day. And he says, oh, ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? You remember from 1 Corinthians 31 that we read, let him that glorieth glory in what? The Lord. Who, what, what, who was, not what was, but who was David's glory? It was God, right? In Psalm 3 and verse 3, he says, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. And so these, these sons of men, these wicked people who are, who are distressing the king, David, the man after God's own heart, he says, oh, ye sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? They're trying to turn what, what David stood for into a shameful thing. And you know, there's nothing new under the sun, is it? I believe we can see that uh, we, can, we can see that today. You know, um, I was, uh, my, my children were giving me a hard time about, about my preaching a couple of weeks ago <laughs> um, in, a, in a fun way. And um, Evie Grace was, was acting as if she was me preaching. <laughs> and she kept saying, we live in a society that does this. Or we live in a society that loves this or that. And I said, why do you keep saying that? She says, well, you say it a lot. <laughs> and maybe I do. Um, so I'm going to try not to say that <laughs> as much. But we live amongst people. <laughs> <laughs> Who often want to turn the things that we glory in the things that we find comfort in, the ways that our Lord has said to live, the one who said that marriage is between a man and a woman, and they should, you know, that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Um, the God who says that in, in Romans 9-11, the children being not yet born, that they are children even though they are not born, the things that, that, that our Lord has said, they will try to turn them into shame and make you feel bad for believing those things. And it was no different here. He says, oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory? The things that I cling to, the things that I rely upon, the things that I know to be truth, how, how long will you turn my glory into shame? I'm telling you, if, it doesn't matter if you're old or young. It's, it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to stand for the things of God and it's not because we're being persecuted physically, but the people who stand for God are trying, they're trying to persecute you mentally to shame you into abandoning what you believe, or at least being quiet about what you believe. And we need to be like those three Hebrew boys, those certain Jews that wouldn't stand up to the powers that be that were trying to get them to bow down to the things of this world. And so... David says, oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity? 
Listen, it is, it is the way of the world, the sons of men, not the sons of God, the sons of men. It is their way to, to love vain things, to love empty things, to love things that don't matter. So if you find yourself doing that, and we all do from time to time, you can say, I'm acting more like a son of this world than a son of God. <laughs> but when you see the masses or you see the, the, the wicked or you see what is popular in your culture, loving things that are just vain, and when you're in a spiritual mindset, you can see this is a waste of my time, this is futile, this is not something that I should be involved with, you, you just know that that is something that, that, that society... <laughs> Or that is something that the world, that is something that the ungodly loves to do is, 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 is spend their time and devotion, put their hearts into vain things, and to seek after leasing, which is lies. See, God is truth, and everything else is a lie. And for those who are naturally minded or those who are not spiritually minded, they are going to spend their time seeking after anything other than God, which is not the truth. And so he says, how long will you love vanity? How long will you seek after leasing? They're not seeking after the kingdom of God and the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of truth. They're seeking after lies. And then he says, Selah, which is a, uh, just a word that says pause and think about that. But then listen to verse 3. David says, but know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. I love that David, he begins that by saying, but know. <laughs> David wants them to know about something, right? He says, anybody that reads this, whether it be the sons of men or us today, I want you to know. And what is it? He wants, it, he wants, he wants people to know about the electing grace of God. <laughs> but know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. That the, that the Lord has put a difference between the men of this world and the, and the, and the men of God. And, and that, that word godly, it really means somebody that has been blessed by God's grace, that has been transformed by God's grace. And so if you see somebody like that today, you can know, like David knows, and you can, you can tell others about, we know that the Lord has set apart that person for himself. One of the things I've been convicted of is I've, I've read uh, over the last month or so a lot more um, Baptist history and writings of, of ministers from, from the 17th and 18th century is they were passionate about people knowing the, the truth of God's sovereignty and salvation. Like they were spending their time propagating the true gospel that God elected a people and has called a people and you know, regenerates a people and has saved a people and that it's all of God. And, and I think that's what David is saying here. He says, I want you to know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. I, I've been convicted that I need to get back to, to preaching more about the, the sovereign grace of God. <laughs> um, the, the, the unmerited favor of God upon his people. And listen to what he says there. He says God, that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. <laughs> Proverbs 16 and verse 4, I believe, says the Lord has made all things for himself. If the Lord has set you apart and made you made you godly, given you his spirit. He didn't do that on accident. He did that for himself and for his glory. Does that make sense this morning? He, he's done that not so you would waste your time in service to you or chasing vain things or seeking after lies, but that you would seek his kingdom 
and that you would seek him. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he before ordained that we should walk in, according to Ephesians 2.10. And so that's what David is saying. The Lord has set apart them that is, that, that, that is godly or him that is godly for himself. And if you're here today and you feel a love for God in your heart, you can know that God is the one that sets you apart before the world ever began. And God was the one that showed his grace upon you to give you that godly desire to seek him. And he didn't do it on accident. He did it on purpose. And he did it so that you would serve him. You would be for himself. He says, the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. And then he says, the Lord, I want you to hear the, the, the confidence that David has. Oh, God of my righteousness. And this is not some self-seeking way of, of talking or self-promotion. This is just David is internalizing the, the gospel. Really, David is internalizing the love of God. And, and if we do that, we'll find ourselves. Not, not doubting that God loves us or doubting that God has made us righteous or doubting that God will hear us when we call unto him, but having the same confidence that David had. And he says, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Did y'all see that? The Lord will hear. He won't turn a deaf ear unto my prayer. And why was that? Why could David have that confidence? He wasn't saying because I've acted this way or I've lived this kind of life, the Lord will hear. He's pointing back to the fact that before the world ever began, God had chosen David to be a part of his family. God had chosen to show his grace unto David. God had chosen to show his love unto David. God had chosen before the world began that he would send his only son, his only begotten son, his only beloved eternal son to bleed and die and become sin for David. And David thought about that and so it led him to believe that when I call unto God, he will hear me. Do you, does it make any sense that God before the world began would enter into a covenant with his son, would enter into a covenant with the Holy Spirit, the triune God, to save a people, an innumerable amount of people that no man can number out of all kindreds and nations and tribes and tongues, and he would, he would, he would do all that, and then when his godly, when his elect call out to him, he would say, I'm not going to hear it. It makes no sense, does it? He loves you too much, and so David could say, when I call unto him, I know that he will hear me. In, in, in Luke chapter 18, in your New Testament, Jesus speaks a parable. It says, he spake a parable unto them, verse 1, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, that we should always be in prayer. I want you to notice that that's a theme throughout Scripture, that we should always be in a spirit of prayer, that we should persevere in prayer. When you're praying for things unto God, um, you, you may not see answers to those uh, immediately. You probably won't see answers to those immediately. Sometimes you may, sometimes you won't. But we should always be in a constant state of prayer to God. You know, God's given us a mind that we can do more than one thing at once. Isn't that amazing? And so we can always have this spirit of prayer, and I need to do that. And you need to do that. We need to all, that's, what, that's, what, that's what this story was given for, so that Jesus could show that men ought always to pray and not to faint. How many prayers weren't answered because we fainted in our prayers? We didn't persevere in praying for those things. And so he says in this parable that there was a, in a city a judge who didn't fear God and he didn't regard man, and there was a widow that came unto this judge in the city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. But he would not, um, 
It says, and he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, this unjust judge who didn't fear God, didn't regard man, he says of this widow who had nothing in her hands to bring, she, she, she didn't have any cloud or any wealth, and so he says within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Why, why did the judge, and by the way, Jesus is not comparing God to this unjust judge. He's just using a parable, a story of things that his disciples could understand. And he's saying to them, why, why did the judge finally give the widow what she needed? It was because she kept coming. If, if, if the widow would have maybe presented herself once or twice or three times and then said, well, it's not worth it, the judge would have never avenged her of her adversaries. But, but, but Jesus says, hear what the judge saith. Because of her continual coming unto the judge, he gave her what she was asking for. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, and shall not God avenge his own elect? <laughs> and then there's, a, there's, there's an extension of that, not just, I don't believe he's saying every elect that prays unto him, but he says his own elect which cries day and night unto him. The ones that don't faint in prayer. The ones that, that do not wear out. The ones that do not give in, the ones that persevere in prayer to God, he says, which cry unto me day and night, though he bear long with them. And, and I believe that means sometimes your prayer is not going to be answered the day you pray it or the week you pray it or the year you pray it. <laughs> you know, your, your prayer may not be answered till you wake up in heaven one day. Um, but you can be assured of this, if you're if you're following God and you're praying for something within his will, he will answer your prayer. If you cry unto him day, day and night, if we continue in prayer and do not faint. And so David, David knew that. And so David says, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. Verse 4, he says, stand in awe and sin not. That, that word stand in awe means to tremble. It's, it's to fear, stand in awe and sin not. I believe it's Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. I'll turn there. It speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge. Yes, it's Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. It says the fear of the Lord. A reverential, healthy fear of God. A respect for God. That's one, of, that's one of our biggest problems is we just don't respect who God is. But here in the book of Proverbs, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then, then it ends by saying, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If, if, you, if you have been given instruction, maybe it's from the, the word of God, maybe it's from a minister, that, that says something that is wise or that instructs you in the ways of righteousness and you despise what they have said. You may even know that it's true, but you think you, 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 just, you, just, you, you just despise that, that it was said to you 
I've had people that come to me that see things that I didn't see in my life and tell me what they see me doing. And I can, I can tell you that I don't think that's ever happened to me. And it hasn't happened a lot in my life, but I don't think there's ever been a time that internally I wasn't thinking, well, you don't have it together either. <laughs> you know, or why are you telling me that? But when I think about it, when, uh, when he will say in just a moment, when I commune with my own heart upon my bed and I'm still, I begin to think, well, you know what? They were probably right. They saw something in me that I didn't see, and I need to change that, and I need to work on that. Well, part of that is a fear of the Lord. When you, when you began to fear the Lord, you began to be instructed, and you began to come, become wise. And look at the, the instruction and the wisdom that David gives in this verse. He says, stand in awe and sin not. Do not sin. Try to live righteously. And then he says, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still um, I believe that means that means that to commune with your own heart is to take an account of your own life we talked about this recently you remember the, the word of Haggai was to consider your ways Paul talked about examining yourself um, David is saying here commune with your own heart give an honest estimation of, of where your own heart is Think about who you are and what God has done for you. And he says, do it upon your bed and be still. Selah, what, is, what does that mean? In, in, I believe it's in the quietness of the night, when you're free from distraction. Um, when you're, the, the, the word still means quiet or calm or not disturbed by noise. And so the, the advice, the wisdom that David is giving is for us today is that we should commune with our own heart in, in, a, in, a, in a place that is free of distractions, that is free of uh, uh, drama, that, that is a tranquil place. And I'm going to tell you all, do, do you find anywhere like that today? Laying next to me every night that I sleep is the most distracting object in my life. My phone. Not Carrie. <laughs> Probably her most distracting object. <laughs> it, 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 it calls to me and it dings to me and it notifies me of things I don't need to know, <laughs> things that are wasting my time. It says, watch this YouTube video. <laughs> and, and we are living in a time where it is, it is very hard. You know, when there were no TVs, when there were no radio, um, there were no automobiles, you know, life, I'm not saying I'd want to trade. I don't think I was cut out for that. <laughs> but it's probably not as hard to find quiet times. There wasn't as much distraction. Well, today, you have to be intentional about finding quiet times you have to be intentional about it that's what our lord did you don't have to turn here but in mark chapter 1 and verse 35 it says in the and in the morning rising up a great while before day he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed you know i've i've, I've personally tried to do this 
in my home that I get up before the day starts. I get up before, even most of the time before the sun comes up, and I try to go to my Bible, and, and this is just me. I try to read a chapter from the Old Testament, a chapter from the New, and spend a little time in prayer because I know that when that day starts, that I'm not going to find, I'm not, it's going to be hard for me to find a solitary place, a place where I can be still, a place where I will be free from distractions. It's just part of life. That's, that's just life. That's the life we live. And I also know that I may not have the discipline that when things, when emails are coming in and, and things need to be done around the house and children need to be taken here or there, I may not, I know myself, I may not have the discipline to set all that apart and say, I'm going to take my time to do this. So, I try, to be, I, try to, I try to do it like, like is explained here. Rise up in the morning. You say, I don't have time to read my Bible. All you got to do is set your clock 15 minutes, 30 minutes earlier than you're setting it now. And you've got time to spend with the Lord. You've, you, you can do what Jesus did to rise up. It says a great while before day. Maybe I need to rise up even earlier than that to read even more than I'm reading and, and go out and depart into a solitary place to commune with God, to pray to God, to become closer with God. And so David says, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. And you know, as you begin to commune with your own heart, if you can really have some introspection into your life, into who you are, what God has done for you, often or maybe without fail if you're honest with yourself and you can see God for who he is your question will become how can I serve him better what can I do for him and David answers that in verse 5 he says he says offer the sacrifices of righteousness he says do what is right that's what he's saying go go and and, and the Bible was given to us Paul would say to instruct us in righteousness. You say, I want to know what to do. David is saying, offer, God is, God wants you to offer the sacrifices of righteousness, doing what is right. Do you see that? Even when it's hard, even when it's not convenient, even when you don't feel like doing it. He says, if you want to please the Lord, if you want to know what it is that God expects of you, he says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And that, that, that really means to become faithfully committed to God. If you remember from Psalm 2 and verse 12, that psalm ends by saying, Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little while. And that's, 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 a, that's a way of saying submit to the Son of God. It's, it's a term of submission. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. Submit to the Son. And then that verse ends by saying, Blessed are they that put their trust in him, who faithfully commit their lives to him and his service. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Listen to verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? <laughs> who will show us? Does that sound like, Maybe some of you or, or people you know, where, where is the good in the world today? Why are things so bad? Who, who's going to show us any good? You know, we can get to thinking like that, can't we? Things are so bad. Things are so grim. 
things just aren't going the way I want? Why is my life turning out like this? Why is my day turning out like this? And we begin to say with them, who, who will show us any good? Well, David redirects the mind when you think like that. And he says, Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Psalm 86, uh, 17, he says, show me a token for good. He's saying, God, I want you to, I want you to, to, to show me your favor, to show me your love, to show me your light when I'm in darkness. That is the, the same prayer we say, have mercy upon me, be gracious unto me. He says, he says, when there seems to be no good in the world, when there seems to be nothing's going your way, when it seems like everything's going wrong, he says, you can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. Show me your face, Lord. Show me something in your word, Lord. And I don't, I don't know that the Lord's just going to do that for you, but if you begin to follow him, he will begin to, to, to brighten uh, your, your countenance. He will begin to brighten your attitude. He will begin to show you things that you didn't see before when you begin to look for them. Don't be like the people that say, well, there's nothing good out there. There's, I don't see anything good. Nothing's going to happen good today. No, be like David that says, Lord, lift up the, the light of thy countenance upon us, upon me, upon my family, upon my church, that we can see you and delight in you and draw strength from you. Let's be more like, like David saying, Lord, we want to see your face. We want to seek you. We want to see good from you. You are the giver of all that is good. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness. When we begin to look on the, on the level playing field of this world, yeah, you can begin to say, man, where is the good? Now, you'll see it if you look for it. But all the good comes from God. He says, show us favor. And then listen to verse 7. He says, thou has put gladness in my heart. I want you to notice that this is, an, this is an internal gladness. This is an internal joy that is not, it does not come from the external circumstances that David was in. Do y'all see that? He's saying, he's saying, God, I know that it is you that has put gladness in my heart. That even in my time of distress, even in my time of trouble, when those that I have counted on have forsaken me, when I feel like I'm alone and lonely, that I can be glad. That in times of distress and despair, I can be glad. And why is that? He says, it's not in something that I do, Lord, but you have put gladness in my heart. I'm going to tell you, if you're going around with a, with a, with a bad attitude and, and woe is me and, and you, don't, you don't ever experience gladness, you're not tapping into what God has already done in your heart. He's put joy in your heart. He's put love in your heart. David says, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. He says, more than when, when the people of the world and the sons of men and the ones that don't regard God, when, when, when their barns are full of corn and when the wine has increased and their, their banqueting is, is at an all-time high and, and what the world looks at and says, oh, that looks so great and that looks so fun, David is saying, I've got something in my heart that is better than all they have, that makes me happier than everything they have, that brings gladness to my heart more than what they have. One of my favorite Verses of scripture is from Proverbs 16, 19, and it says this. 
Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. I would rather be around the people of God who see themselves as sinners, who cry out to God for deliverance, who find, who, who find their rest and their hope and their gladness and their joy in God than around all uh, the, the prestigious and all uh, those who find their joy in the things of this world, into, in their corn and their wine, in their safety and their security, in their, in their, their banqueting and their parties. I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, this, is a, this is a contrast in verse 7 between kingdom living and worldly living. It's a contrast between the joys of the world and the joys of the kingdom. And the joys of the world will always fail you. They will always burn out. Oh, sin can be, it can be, it can be real fun for a season, right? But the end of it is death and destruction. That's what Moses had to forsake. He could have gone into the, the palaces of Pharaoh and he could have lived it up. But I believe Moses knew that there would come a time where he wouldn't enjoy that anymore. He would rather suffer reproach with the people of God. He would rather suffer the shame. He would rather suffer the world turning the glory uh, that he, the, the, the one that he gloried in and the things that he held dear to himself, turning that into shame. He would rather endure all that and suffer with the people of God than, than enjoy the corn and the wine that would be increased in Pharaoh's palace because he knew that the ways of God, although they may not look like the ways that are popular to the world, the ways of God and the ways of the kingdom give you a gladness and a joy that other people can't understand. Other people outside of it can't see. It passes understanding. When we talk about a peace or a joy that passes understanding, what we mean is there are people who if they have never experienced it, if they haven't, if they haven't felt it, if they haven't been in it, they don't understand it. But for those of us that have felt lifted up for just a moment, have you ever heard somebody preaching the gospel and for just a moment you felt like you were flying? <laughs> you felt like you were on fire? You felt like, I mean, you felt like there was nothing, all the cares of the world, the, 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 the deadlines you have or the bills that you have to pay, you didn't think about those for a second. You were thinking about heaven. That's the gladness that God has put on your heart. And you know, the only place you're going to experience that is in the kingdom. That's the only place you're going to experience that. And, and, the, and the greatest manifestation of the kingdom is here in the church. But you know, that's not the only place that the kingdom reigns. You, you, can, you, can, you can be, it's spring break. I know there's a lot, a lot of schools on spring break now. Maybe you're going on vacation. You can take the kingdom with you. <laughs> you know that? You can, you, can, you can be hunting or fishing or playing baseball or shopping or whatever it may be that you enjoy. You can take the kingdom with you. This is a kingdom that, that goes beyond the bounds of these four walls. The kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness and joy and peace and the Holy Ghost. We can have those things outside of these four walls, right? We can have gladness in our hearts. Now, verse 8. Many call this the evening psalm or the evening prayer as, con as compared to Psalm 3. Remember in Psalm 3 in verse 5, David said, I laid me down and slept. 
I wait for the Lord to sustain me. He was recognizing that it was God who providentially cared for him through the night. And he was, as he began to awake, he gave glory to his Lord. And then in verse 8 of Psalm 4, he recognizes God in the evening when he says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. You know, I believe that's, that's probably the best remedy for peaceful sleep is thinking about the Lord only. <laughs> Casting your cares on the Lord only. I think that's the most important word maybe in that whole verse is, is only. You all see that single-mindedness. I'm focused on you, Lord, and I know it is you, Lord, in eternity and in time that's going to make me dwell in safety and I will lay down in peace and I will sleep see that's part of that peace that passes understanding how could somebody be so calm in the midst of cancer or in the midst of a job loss or in the midst of losing a loved one and you've seen this haven't you you've seen saints of God throughout the years that, that they, they're not they're not happy with this worldly happiness where they're just going to smile and everything's okay but you can see there's a peace within them. There's a gladness within them in the midst of everything that they can go to, to bed at night in peace and sleep. And there's a calmness that, 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 that just their, their, their lives exude this, this calm joy and peace. How could anybody have that? It's in the Lord only. It's in focusing in the Lord only. Because he's the one that makes us dwell in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. The God of our righteousness. The Lord that makes us to dwell in safety. That's given gladness in our heart. We praise you. We honor you. And we, we do it distracted. <laughs> we do it with the cares of the world upon us. And we know, God, that that's part of life so we pray that you will through the midst of the things that we must do and the, the hard things that we must face and things that distract us that you will help us to stay focused on you and even in the midst of those things that we'll we'll go to bed at night in peace and that we will sleep knowing that the Lord only loves us that the Lord is making us to dwell in safety that the, it is the Lord that has given us his righteousness, that has saved us for heaven, that the worst problem we ever had has been taken care of. And when we think about that, what the Lord has done for us in that, help us to, to understand that these temporal things, these things through life, although they bring us much stress and they, they load us with a lot of care, that we can cast those upon you, knowing that you've taken care of our biggest problem and you'll help us in our smaller problems here on earth. God, I pray that you'll open doors for us. I pray that this church will be full. I pray that, that and not for my glory or, or, or our glory, but for your glory, that there will be more that will come in that say, we glory in nothing but the Lord, that we know he has chosen us, he has made us godly for himself, and I will be here to worship. Whether it be those that have never heard your name or whether it be those who are who are laboring under a teaching that they must 
reconcile themselves. They must become righteous themselves through something that they do. And with your help, no, help us to show them and help others to learn and to come out of that bondage to show that God is our righteousness, that God is our redeemer, that God is our savior, that he was victorious on the cross, that he came from the grave three days later, not offering salvation, but with salvation for his people in his hands. That he sat down on the right hand of God, having purged us from our sins. Thank you for that peace that comes with knowing that our sins have been paid for. That we don't have to work our way to you. That you are our righteousness. And I want others to know it, Lord. So open doors for us. If it's another man that needs to preach it here, send us one. Give us revival. Visit your plantation. There are many dark clouds and many things that trouble us in this world. So God, we pray that you will revive your kingdom in this nation. We don't deserve it. Be merciful to us. Show us your grace. And that, that repentance would start here at the house of God. And that more would come in amongst us and join us and praise you together, collectively, here at Vestavia Church, that our children would have a place to worship and our grandchildren would have a place to worship here at Vestavia. We know we don't deserve it, Lord, but do it through your grace and mercy. And do it because of all things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Um, Let's stand and sing number 154. And as we stand and sing, if you would like to come forward and unite with this church uh, through water baptism to begin to follow Jesus Christ, you can come.